0: Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. So, glad you guys are here. My name is Heath, by the way, if you don't know me. Uh, lead pastor of Reach, soon to be senior pastor, because I'm getting older by the day. Um, it's kind of a running joke that I don't want to be called senior pastor. Anyway, sorry. Um, the second dumb thing that I'm going to say, or the second dumb question I'm going to say, this may be a dumb question, but do you know who you are? Do you know that the answer to this question is driving everything that you do or don't do? You may have missed it in our world, but identity is a big talking point. The problem with most conversation about identity is that it's based on something you do. A lot of implications in that. And not who you are. Everyone in this room has been created in the image of God. And our creator is the best place to look when it comes to figuring out who we are. To some extent, everyone in this room, hear this word, everyone in this room is struggling with identity issues. I wrote in here, and I usually have my wife read over things before, um, what you say. Some of you are like, I do not. Let me prove my point. Do not raise your hand on this. Do not elbow the person beside you. More so the second part of that, don't elbow the person beside you. Uh, Is there anyone in this room that is perfect? Don't raise your hand. You will look super silly and don't elbow your partner going... (laughs) Let me just say this. If you knew your God-given identity and surrendered fully to it, you would eliminate 99.9% of your issues. Our issues are being cultivated daily Because of our identity issues. Because we're fighting for something to give us what we can only get from one place. Whether it's work, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our children, whether it's some achievement that you've got and you're wanting. Whether it's your bank account. There's all these things that we're looking to give me my identity. And it's not going to come from anywhere else. Learning to get your identity vertically instead of horizontally changes our world. You're no longer looking to people or things to feed your identity. This is the work of the rest of your life. This message will not fix your identity issues. It may point them out. It may identify something you need to start in a progression, but your identity will be something that you will wrestle with or at least living in the identity that God has placed over you the rest of your life. Every single person in this room, if you're going to live in the identity that God has created you, you're going to have to fight for it every day. Because our natural is to revert back to trying to get our Approval in our identity from someone or something and we have to fight over and over and over again. Listen to this psalm. Psalms 12, verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. When our identity is right, nothing that comes our way shakes us. Because we know the one who loves us, the one who created us, has not moved from his place. His purpose for us isn't thwarted by some unknown thing in our world. Could you imagine living in a place where every single bad news, every single thing that came to you that may normally just throw you off, your first thought would be I trust him. I trust him. It would change. It would change most of the arguments with you and your spouse and, and with your coworkers. It would change all those things because a lot of time our sin issues, our sin comes out in our response to others. Something happens, which if we took a second. And took a breath, we would handle differently. But a lot of times, because our identity is tied into these things, we respond poorly. I'm starting a club for those. We'll say our first names and talk about our issues just for this. Today, we're going to hear from the New Testament's identity struggler. Guess who it is? (laughs) I love Peter. (laughs) My man, Peter. Uh, the man that Jesus went as far of changing his name, which is a pretty common occurrence in the Bible, not super common. But God did that a lot to people through the Old Testament, and New Testament. And you know why he did that? Because our name, especially in that culture, was our identity. It was who you were going to be or what you were. And so God would go as far to go, you are no longer this, because this is what the gospel is. You're no longer this. You're now this and we see peter struggled under even though god is declaring who he is the rock we see him not living that rock life over and over again even after the holy spirit it's this struggle that he's in and today we're going to jump into one of his letters but before we do that before we get into the word i want to pray dearly father you know The heart of every single person in this room. You know where they're struggling. You know where they're cultivating identity out of things that will lead them nowhere. And Lord, I pray that today you would gently rebuke your children to no longer accept our identity from somewhere else other than you. And I pray today, as we hear your word, there would be a measure of faith that's poured out into our lives. The faith that doesn't say, I have the capacity to do that, but the faith that says, You are my good Father, and you are going to help me be what you've called me to be. Lord, I pray that today we would trust you more than we trust ourselves. And Lord, I rebuke the enemy's schemes and lies over us in this room. The words that have been whispered in our ears, the words that we're living under, the identity statements that someone else has placed on us. Lord, I pray that today we would see them, we would identify them, and we would rebuke them in your name. And that our life would be different today because we're beginning to see the picture of who you've intended us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Second Peter um, chapter one, verses one through eleven. First um, and second Peter were letters written by Peter to a church. The the second letter was most likely written from the same place the first letter was from jail in Rome. And the second letter was a little bit more pressing because this is. Probably the last letter that he wrote. He is going to be murdered um, for his faith. He's he's dying and he's writing this letter almost as a a remembrance to his beloved people, his church that he's helped start. He's saying, hey guys, remember these things. And it's fitting that he starts off the beginning of the letter like he does. Let's go. Verse 1. Simon Peter... A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with others by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, we I mean, you could unpack this, we could leave everything else, and if we could get everything that's in here, peter, i mean we we can just go ahead and say it, the favorite, I love that his first descriptor of himself, because he could have flipped it, apostle and servant was well, servant, and apostle, and he's He's writing his letter to the people of the church saying that you have faith of equal standing with others by the righteousness. Not of them, not of their works, but they are in the same standing as even Peter is because of their faith. Because it's not their work, it's not their action. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Let me dispel one lie that some of us are living in right now. I don't have what it takes to be what God has called me to be. By his divine power, not by Peter, not by the church, by his divine power, has grade, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The gospel wasn't intended to get you just to heaven, the gospel was intended that it would change your now so that you can enjoy him now and. Later. So he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. It is yours. You have access to it as a child of God. Period. And so every time the whisper of life that I don't know enough and I'm not this and I didn't grow up in this and I don't. God's given you access to everything that you need to be exactly what he's intended you to be now. It's our. It's our believing that it's there and our trusting. He's going to give us some action points here in just a minute of things that we do after the faith. Has granted is a perfect tense. It refers to an action in the past that is continued or has continuing results into the future. The giving has already been done. It is not something we have to wait for. It's not some moment that we're like, well, he'll give it to us one day. As we've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he's given us access to it, and it's something that is continued. With the word of God in your hands and the spirit of God in your hearts, we now have everything we need for a godly life. Verse 4 It says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We've given access to the divine nature. So that we can escape this. Does, does anybody and I not want to escape this world? I mean, because, yeah, this world kind of stinks at times. But who would love, don't raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand. But who would love to escape the corruption that is in this world? Like, who would love to, like, not be tainted or exposed or, you know, tempted by everything that was here? And he, here, here's God saying, hey, we've been given access to this divine nature because we've escaped. Let me, let me bring some clarity to this. Um, Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among you, among the Gentiles, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. It's in us. Having escaped. Don't skip over this. Christ in us has done the work we could not. He has given us, listen to this, the possibility of freedom. Before Jesus, before surrender, you did not have the possibility of leaving behind the corrupted world. You didn't have the possibility of being freed from sin, the taint of it. It's now... A possibility for us. It wasn't a possibility before, but now we literally get to choose. Are are we going to be trapped in this one thing? Are we going to just believe the lies that come to us day in and day out? Or are we going to choose to believe that what is in us is greater than what's in the world? Verse five. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Okay. Some of you don't like being told what to do. So for those that don't like that, hear it like this. Because of Jesus, you now have the freedom to do what you previously could not do. You can now do it. You can now have access to step out of those things before we didn't we didn't have the power in us but now we do and he's going to give us some things that we could do and you can go oh I don't even know. And let me let me also clarify this so he's giving ready to give us a list of things that we can things that we can do to with some great promises attached to them but faith comes first You know if you if you hear this list of things and you go I'm going to do these things and you don't have faith and the one that equips you and enables you to do these things, you won't be able to do them. Yeah. It's going to be a struggle for us who even have the connection to the Holy Spirit, have the connection to the living God. But if you try to do those things without, it's impossible. So if you if you are just a list, like if you just give me what I'm supposed to do, I just want to do it. Step one, and there is no step after it if you don't do step one. This isn't like skip step one. Step one is faith in the one who gives us access, who gives us a connection, who gives us the power to do these things. So make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. Let me walk through some of these. So knowledge is not just Knowledge like sometimes we think knowledge is just like well, if I have all the details if I have all the information then I'm good This is not this knowledge is meant to be a practical knowledge It's a knowledge that by knowing it it allows you to do something you do something with it It's not just like I have these things, but it's a knowledge that you actually do self-control It means mastery of the self, especially in terms of the demands of the senses You can say no now. Look, self control is an issue with everyone in this room. No one has mastered it perfectly. If you've mastered one area, there's another area that you don't. Some of us are like, well, I've mastered what I eat. But you don't master what you watch. You don't master all these other things that are going on. Some of us, we, we, we praise and we talk about the things that we have mastered. Because some of you have done really well in certain things. But we cannot praise the one thing and avoid the other. Because the other thing is still hurting us. So self-control is a par, a, across the board. And this is something we need to work on internally. And, and invite other people into this idea. With accountability. I'm telling you, like, every time I feel like I have things under control, like, I, for those that don't know me, I have, which this sounds really weird saying it, um, I have eating problems. Uh, I'll blame it on middle school and a bad body self image. But I think about food a lot. Uh, and I think about controlling food a lot. And if you've talked to me for any given point, depending on where I'm at, where I'm counting points on Weight Watchers or I'm just starving myself, I have an issue. Like, I'm not saying it's a healthy issue. It's just an issue. But every moment that I feel like I've got this issue under control, <laughs> the last week and a half, I have not. I've had no self-control. I don't know what those little, uh, um, what's the little cookies? That have the dark chocolate inside? What are... Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I think they're, they're kind of good for you. They're better than the Butterfingers that's sitting there. <laughs> but, I mean, we think we've got things under control. We think, oh, man, I can do this. And the problem is if we don't have a right understanding of why we're doing it. See, for me, a lot of the reason why I'm doing it is not a healthy reason. It's not because I want to live longer and I want to be healthy and I don't want want to control this or that. It's honestly all about image for me. And when I can try to control something that isn't connected to what God's trying to do, it's a broken system. That self-control is broken because I'm trying to do something for me, not for God. I think we should have some self-control when it comes to food, but it it comes to, it's not just about that. For me, it's a completely unhealthy part of my life that I spend way too much thinking about. I spend way too many times stepping on that scale. I did this morning and it wasn't good. I do almost every day. But self-control is in all these areas of life. We have to connect it to the why we're doing these things. Your self-control may be with alcohol. Your self-control may be with social media. Your self-control may be with things that you watch on TV. Your self-control may be your words. And how you respond and and learning to control that initial response. Because just like I said a minute ago, most of our conflict with someone else that we're close to and we love, most of the conflict that causes pain is because we didn't have self-control in the moment. And we let our mouth, and if you really want to dive in the deep end, read through James. We let our mouth say words that we wouldn't say if we had self-control. And then we're having to fix the thing that we said. Also, an issue issue that I have. um, I'm a verbalizer, which means that I talk way too much, regardless how many times I memorize um, Proverbs 19:10, where where words are many, sin will abound. I mean, I know it. And sometimes while I'm talking, I'm like, too many words, too many words. But self-control is across the board, but we have, to, we have to start with faith, and we're moving towards virtue. We're moving towards godliness, and we add knowledge to that faith, and then to that knowledge we add self-control. These are things that are moving in that direction. And then we add to self control steadfastness. It is the willingness to accept whatever obstacles are placed in life's path and the courage to make them into stepping stones. Look, Christianity, like everything else, is not easy street. If you're going to come up to an obstacle and get discouraged about what you're doing or what your faith in Christ, that's what this steadfastness is talking about. Let's move through these things. Because like, when we have our identity correct, failure is not the end. Failure is just part of the process of God shaping and molding you. Some of you are missing out on what God wants to do in your life because you're so afraid of failure that you don't do the things that God's calling you to do. Because part of him making you into the man or woman he's designed you to be is that failure and learning from that failure and attempting again and learning from that failure and attempting again. If we don't allow failure to be part of the process, we miss out on where God's going to take us to be. I'm super fearful of failure. I'm super fearful of looking stupid. Started going um, to a counselor, uh, and one of my first homeworks uh, was, "What are you afraid of?" <laughs> I'm afraid of a lot of things, and they rule me because. And you know what? His second question in my homework was, "What's your identity?" Because he knows that. The things that we're afraid of really shape our identity. If we have our identity right, the things that we're afraid of become manageable. But there's so many things that I'm missing out on, and I'm getting better. Believe me, I'm working in the right direction. Many of the things I'm missing out on because I'm, I'm not stead- Something comes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Instead of just standing firm, like Psalms 12:7, do not... He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. As these things come, you, 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 you wait and let the Lord determine what's going to happen. See, our brains sometimes move further than what God has prepared you to do. So sometimes we just have to sit and wait and go, God, I trust you enough. David did this a lot in the Psalms. He whined and complained about what God wasn't doing or how he was doing it. And at the end of a lot of those, he would come and say, but I trust you, Lord. Steadfastness is just that deciding when the bad news, bad news comes, which it's going to come. If you live long enough, there'll be heartbreaking things that you will experience in the days and years to come. When it comes, you let God determine what's going to come out of it instead of you. Godliness, godliness is not only devotion to God, but a sense of duty towards men or people as well. It's not just that. And it moves into this verse seven. It says, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Brotherly affection is the uh, is the spirit. Of affection that should characterize the relationship between members of believing community. Like people inside us. It, there should be this brotherly affection. Um, the, Oh my gosh, what is the marriage thing? Love and, Love and respect has this idea that a lot of our issues would be better. I'm pointing at Jody. A lot of our issues would be better, not because she's my wife, not because she's done something, she's the issue. A lot of our issues would be better if our natural would be, she loves me. That's the baseline. And so what comes out of her mouth should be filtered by, this woman loves me. She spent 24 years with this guy. (laughs) She's got some steadfastness. (laughs) But it's, it's it's that idea of like, her baseline is she loves me, but so many times I hear what's coming out of her mouth is like she wants to destroy me. She's trying to bring me down. Instead of going she loves me. Now, I don't like what she's saying because we've talked about this a lot in here. A lot of times it's true. But if I can hear it through this lens of going she loves me and the same thing with brotherly affection, it's inside our believing community we should be a And you're not going to like what I'm getting ready to say. We should, not this, but the next part, we should be above above reproach when it comes to believing that we intend the best until we know that it's not so. And then we deal with it. And it's okay. But look at this. It's not just brotherly affection as it associates to people inside. But we must extend that to our neighbor's. And if you want to read the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus pretty much says our neighbor is anyone we come in contact with in this world. And Jesus goes even further in Matthew 4, 44, saying we should pray for and love our enemy. Whew. Like you want to try to do something that's impossible without the Holy Spirit? Do that. When, when you read stories of Corey ten Boone that was thrown into a concentration camp and and, and witnessed um, her dad and her sister um, murdered by people. And years later, she's going around touring, talking about forgiveness, and the guard came to one of her meetings. She was in Germany. And he came up afterward in like like tears, saying, Is it for me, too? And she was like, Her, her... Her faith had to take its steps into the reality. And she, she said, it took everything in me to extend my hand and touch this man who was horrible, abusive. And to go, God's grace and God's forgiveness extends to you too. It's crazy. And, and, and that only happens when our identity is correct. That only, we only have that capacity when it is happening. And look at, look at the promises. Verse 8. It says, For if these qualities of yours are increasing. So these are things that we work on. They're not, it's not a list that we go, ch- 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 done. Steadfastness once done. This is, these are ongoing things. Self-control, knowledge, godliness, brotherly affection. But if these are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're like, man, I want to be used like I want to be I want to be a vessel for the Lord, I want to be used. If you want to be used and you want it to be effective then let these qualities, qualities be part of your life ever increasing and they'll keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. And listen to this in verse 9. And for those that are like, I don't like this and I'm not going to do them. For whoever lacks these qualities is so near-sighted that he is blind having forgot that he was cleansed from his former sins. And so here's a question for you. You can take this home with you, wrestle with it today. How nearsighted are you? I mean, if you're looking at these lists, you're like, man, I'm struggling. It, it's, it, I'm not saying perfection. I'm not saying, yes, I'm doing these, I'm 100 percent but... This list should be something, remember, starting with faith, of course. They should be things that we are actively doing in our life. And we're not doing any of them. We're so nearsighted that we're blind. And we wonder why we bump our head into things. A lot of it is because we don't have our identity right. And when our identity is not right, we're not heading in the right direction. We're not doing these things intentionally intentionally. So that we won't be ineffective ineffective or unfruitful. Verse 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance. Sorry, an entrance into the kingdom, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a big promise. So here's another question for you. Are you practicing these things? And look. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not doing any of them and you're failing miserably, there's not condemnation. Condemnation keeps you like you're done. You're you're worthless. You cannot. It's conviction. Conviction moves you to doing the things that you should do. So don't walk away from this going. I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm worthless, blah, blah, blah. No, you are a treasure You're God's treasure. And and hear this as you read through the New Testament. God has designed you and made you to be a part of this thing that he's doing in his kingdom. And without you, it's going to be ineffective. Let me go this one step further. God has designed you to fulfill a role inside the local church. Reach. Reach. And without you walking into the things that God's called you to, we aren't going to be as effective as we can. And let me just, let me give you permission. It's okay to fail at reach. There's grace and mercy for those who attempt and fail. Hear me. It's okay to attempt and failure. Failure is not the end. It is just part of the process. We're September will be 10 years old, this church. Do you know how much failure has happened over the last nine years and however many months we've been here? On my part and the part of so many things. I don't know if you were here last week. This wasn't a failure of someone specific. Well, it kind of was. But um, we didn't have this beautiful screen behind us. You had, um, you had a piece of paper in your hand. And you know what? That doesn't matter. And I would just point it out, and the person that may or may not have been responsible for that now feels bad. It's okay, Alan. I forgive you. <laughs> he didn't actually do it. Um, but And I say that in jest. It's okay. Attempt. I would rather you attempt these things, pursue God, fall flat on your face, and get back up and continue. Because remember, we're, we're heading down a linear line because that's what we're in right now. We're in this linear system. Every moment is ticking by and we're in it. And to where God wants to take you, you have to keep moving forward. And if you aren't moving forward, you're not going to get where God wants you to be. I heard this illustration from someone and I liked it. Uh, related to identity. Imagine tomorrow you get a phone call. Um, And a wealthy relative that you knew nothing about left you $50 million. Yours. deposited in a bank with your name on it. And you have complete access to it. You can go get to it any one. And and, and, and in the initial, they send you a check for like $50,000 of the $50 million that you have. And you're like... You go buy a few things, you maybe go on a little trip, and you, you, you spend that money and then it's gone. And then you spend the rest of your time forward living like you don't have the $50 million in the bank. You go back to your budget and, and, and the stress that we have once a month of doing our budget and realizing we've gone over on our groceries and going out to eat and all these other things, and you, you're, you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul to make this thing work out. All with the realization that you have this money here. And could you imagine the conversation when the the other person is like, why don't you go get some money out of the account that you have? Could you imagine saying, it's downtown and, you know, the traffic sometimes is really bad and there's not really good parking spots. And then when I get in there, like I have to show them, you know, my ID and it's really inconvenient, so I'm not going to do it. Hear this. This is what you're doing when you're not living the inheritance that God has given you. You have access to every bit of it. And most of our issues is because we, we, out of whatever reason, we choose not to withdraw from the very thing that God's promised to give us life from. And we go, Oh, I wish things could be different. look, Be inconvenienced and go get what's yours. And that inconvenience, you could go down the list that we just read through. Knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. And he capped all those over, really, with love. And if our identity is right, we have the capacity to really love people, even people that don't deserve it. Identity has always been an issue. If you're reading in the one-year Bible, you've heard lots from Moses and their adventure through the desert. Moses argued with God, which is dumb, but he did it. And he said, who am I that I should go? Identity. Who am I? Because he's thinking about who he is and how he has the capacity to do the thing that God has called him to, and he doesn't. But... He has a connection to the one who has the power to do all the things. Think about Gideon. God comes to Gideon, hiding, doing his little thing, and he speaks, Almighty oh, Man, <laughs> which is hilarious because he's hiding from the people like. And he says, But Lord, how can I save Israel? We need to be continually reminded of our status as children of God and our spiritual resources in Christ. That's what the whole Second Peter was. He was dealing with issues that he had inside the church, but he's reminding them over and over and over, over again. Who are you? To my last question, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. My last question for you today. It could be split in two because it could be to two different people. Have you forgotten who you are? Are you living in the identity that God has declared over you? And there potentially is people in this room that have never Submitted, surrendered to Jesus. So that identity hasn't been given to you. It's not, it's not everyone's. The, the identity is given to us. The inheritance is given to those who trust and believe in Jesus. And if you're in this room and you're like, well, I'm not worthy. And if you really knew. Like, read the Bible. No one's worthy. No one. No one deserves The grace and mercy of Jesus because of their own works and effort. It's grace and mercy to everyone, including you. So I encourage you as we go in to worship is wrestle going, God, I want this. I want to be identified as your child and I want what comes with that. I want to be connected to you. I want you to tell me who I am. I'm going to read a few verses. They're not going to be on the screen. Go ahead and close your eyes if you want. If you don't like being told what to do, you can keep them open. Nothing magical is going to happen if you don't. But sometimes we get distracted with our eyes open and we're looking at things. Uh, And I want to read just a few verses to you. Ezekiel 36:26 I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you." John 6:37: "All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away." Matthew 11:28, "Come to me, all you are weary and heavy, laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Acts 2.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 7.38, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, the rivers of living water will flow from within them. Acts 10.43, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin through his name acts 13:39 through him everyone who believes is set free from sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of moses john 10:28 i give them eternal life and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand john 14:3 I will come back and take you to be with me, that you will also be where I am. In John 14, 19, because I live, you also will live. Dear Father, we're wrestling. We're struggling to be what you have called us to be, what you've told us we are. And today we we want to surrender that to you. Our failure of not being what you've asked us to be. Our failure of not believing you. Our failure of not trusting you. Lord, you've declared all those who believe in you as children. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would be engulfed by that idea that right now sitting here in this room if we've trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior we are now a child of God. And Lord, I pray that the implications of that would wash over us. I know some of us That experience of being a child of someone else hasn't been good. But, Lord, we know that you are a good God. And being a child of a good God means that we are loved. We are cherished. We are provided for. Wash us with that reality right now that we are yours. And if you are for us, who can be against us? That we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Why should we fear? Why should our heart be troubled when you are our dad? Lord, for those in this room that can't say that, I pray that you would fix it this morning that you would be like the prodigal father waiting with your arms open and saying, come, come to me. Let me be your father and you be my child. Lord, I pray that these lists wouldn't feel like a burden to us, but they would be things that we begin to strive for through the love that you've placed in us. That we would be people that would be eager to know you, to obey you, and to experience you today. So Lord, as we worship you in this last song, I pray that you would fix things in us. Fix things in us that we cannot fix. I pray that we would release things that we're holding on to, that we would grant forgiveness and receive it. Thank you for being so lovingly patient with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.